0: In today's show, we're talking Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah, the Thunder. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael
1: Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.
0: Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed.
1: You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
0: Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd, and I'm the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore beeball on TikTok, at redrock underscore b and on Instagram at Locked Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by FanGel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanGel.com slash today to get started. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. So it is week two of getting entries for the FBI LOFB Fantasy Basketball World Cup. The first lot of entries have been sent out, while the first lot of emails regarding the entries have been sent out. So if you haven't got one of those, then you haven't made the first cut, which is fine because we had way more applications than we had positions available. But we've got another one, another different form this week. So it's in the show notes, it's in the descriptions, it's different questions, and we've got another 144 spots to fill this week. So get those entries in. Now, we're going to talk Thunder with Ryland Stiles of the Locked On Thunder podcast. Welcome back to the show, Ryland. Josh, thanks for having me. It's good to have you here. It's good to have you here, talking thunder. In it's probably a little bit different circumstances to what it has been in previous seasons. I I don't actually recall the way we spoke about the thunder last season, but I am I am aware that I spoke at times during the off season. Like I don't think they're going to be as bad as you think, and all this tanking stuff is completely overblown. But that's gone now. No one's. Well, there might be a couple of people thinking about that, but no one's going. Oh man, the thunder. They're just going to sit everybody, and they're just not trying to win games. Nobody thinks that anymore, Ryan. Right?
1: Yeah, the, the perception of this team has done a 180 since the last time that we were doing season previews. Uh, at one point, looked upon as a, a black eye of the league and was a team that got a lot of criticism from pretty much everyone nationally. Uh, but ultimately, they come out of it after a two-year hiatus from postseason basketball. They make the postseason last year. They have one of the best young cores in the NBA. And it's just a matter of when this young team can put it together in a very tough conference.
0: Yeah. How, look, this? we think this team's going to be good, but we also think there's a ton of Western Conference teams that are going to improve, and they might get better, but they still might not get out of the play, and I think there's a good chance that they do. But they might not, because things have changed so much. And that brings us to the state of the roster, and we've got all the players that have arrived, the players that have gone. I couldn't actually fit every player that arrived on onto this screen, but let's talk about the main guys there. Vasily Mitchich finally comes over. Eight years later, I think it is. He's now almost turning 30. Uh, Kaysan Wallace, drafted after the Thunder traded up for that pick, which I actually really liked. I hated it right at the moment, but I did like it about five minutes later when I thought about it. Ujman Garuba, Keontae Johnson, Victor Oladipo, Taito Washington, Jack White, Dovas Bertans is on this team uh, as well. There's just a bunch of guys there. And the only players they lost, Dario Saric, goes to the Warriors. Jared Butler goes to the Wizards on a two-way. And Lindy Waters and Olivier Saar are currently unsigned. So... I would say, Rylan, looking at that comings and goings list, this team, the, the roster is better. Not even account, accounting for internal improvement.
1: Yeah, not even accounting for internal improvement or the addition of Chet oh, Lundgren, who yeah, didn't get course. to play last year at of all. Course. So I think this team absolutely got better on paper, and, and they have you know, a, a well-renowned coaching staff and developmental program. And so it's exciting. And you look what Shea's doing in the FIFA World Cup, Josh Giddey in the FIFA World Cup. Uh, and they look to be both improved as well. So th- this team for sure got better. I think what Meechus can bring to this team off the bench for a, a team last year that at times their secondary offense looked a bit disorganized, what he can bring as a, as a kind of stable force for them will be huge for this Thunder team. And then, you know, whatever Casey Wallace can be as a guy who shot 40% for the majority of the college season last year, up until the end of January, whenever he dealt with some back injuries, but that's a guy who can really shoot again uh, and, area of need for this thunder team so i think that this team is for sure better
0: a couple of things there we're recording this it's uh tuesday night in the states it's wednesday here in australia but it's not coming out until next week but i am going to see josh giddy play tonight in the uh in the australian warm-up game against brazil so i'm excited to go to go watch that to go watch giddy live in person secondly uh, you've probably already got it, but how many um, like European basketball stands have been jumping into your mentions, Ryland, about Vasily Micic? Because I've had a few of them when I've dared to suggest that he would that he would be coming off the bench for this team. No way, man! He's he's a Euroleague MVP. He's definitely going to be a starter. Uh, have you have you got that yet?
1: Yeah, that that has been our biggest podcast of the summer, and trending towards our <laughs> biggest podcast on YouTube ever is the Micic signing. Uh, it's it's been great to see the support for Micic. and I think that I got asked this question too the other day. Why fans care a lot about Mitrich. I think part of it is even local fans caring a lot about Mitrich is because you've invested so much time in this idea of Mitrich. This has been the third straight summer of will he come over. He's he's teasing the Thunder that he's gonna sign, but he won't ever sign. And then now he finally signed. So people are excited to see uh, what he can become. I will say that you know, I've heard from people with the Thunder that you know he understands his role. He understands that this team has a pretty defined starting five, best five group with Shay with Giddy, with Dort, with J-Dub and Chet. So he understands like what his position is on this team and he's ready to embrace it and ready to start his NBA career and And it could be and it, and it likely will be a very long and successful one.
0: Well, we hope it's long. He's already, he's already 30 so he doesn't have a huge amount of time left but we hope he's able <laughs> to be a solid um, option here but what that does do is him arriving. It does impact the I guess the minutes that are available for Wallace but also for someone like a, a, a Trey man or even the recently acquired Tai Tai Washington because yeah withstanding injuries there's there's just not a huge amount of playing time for those guards at the moment
1: yeah the, the guard log jam is for sure one the thunder will have to work through I, I would expect the thunder to continue to play 10 to 12 guys a night which probably was not great for the fantasy aspect of of uh, the nba world but it was great for okc to kind of mix and match lineups and eventually have some different things that they could go to i mean they had josh gideon and jalen williams out of santa clara both of those guys played all five positions last year. And, and J-Dub and, and Josh Giddy even played all five in one game uh, down the stretch of that season as the Thunder didn't have a lot of big men depth and had to rely on some small ball lineups. So that, that versatility and the and the mixing and matching of lineups is something that the Thunder are going to rely on again this year. And I think it's going to be exciting to see. I will say that I think Misich will probably have the inside edge to get some minutes off the bench, more more stable minutes off the bench, just because of, of the calming nature of his game and how he can thrive in the pick and roll. And he's a guy that you can just pass the baton to and ensure that your lead will not evaporate the second you take off Josh Giddy and SGA and Jalen Williams and Chet from that floor. So his ability to to steady the ship, I think, has been proven at, at a higher level than the other options for OKC so far.
0: You brought up like a, a point that I'd forgotten completely, the way that the Thunder ran that fifth starting spot last season where it's basically every single game, it was someone different. It was Kenridge Williams, and it was Jalen Williams, then it was, Williams, then it was um, Jeremiah Robinson-Earl, then it was Mike Muscala, then it was back to Jalen Williams, then it was back to Kenridge Williams, and nobody seemed to start. Then Aaron Wiggins would jump in there. No one would seem to start... Um, the, the same in, in that position, that fifth starter p- position for two games in a row until the end of the season when Jalen Williams um, was able to hold on to that job for a longer period of time. Um, the only real injury coming into the season is Chet Holmgren, and I only say that because he didn't play last season. But he's healthy. We saw him play in all these summer runs. We saw him play in summer league, so he's not actually injured. But we didn't see him um, play last season. We're going to talk starting lineups in just a second, so I'll, I'll get to a, a couple of discussions around Chet, but. What is the? Because there are going to be people, especially in the fantasy community, who are watching Chet. And go, no way, I can't trust him. He's going to get hurt every time he steps on the court. Like, so what's what's the? Not, I don't know know fear is the right word, but what's the general uh, consensus or idea around the Thunder regarding that injury and uh, risk of recurrence?
1: Yeah, the the injury rehab for Chet this year went as good as you can expect. He was always on track. He never had a setback and he was healthy enough to play in Summer League and for Team USA Select, and he's also been doing pickup runs with Kevin Durant and other superstars as well. So he's been tracking very well, and he looks healthy at this juncture. I I think that with Chet Holmgren, it's just a little bit of just the fan-driven narrative of like the easy – interaction posts on social media the the reality is he didn't get hurt last year because he was too skinny and so like that had nothing to do with him getting hurt last year it was a freak injury on a a wet slippery bad playing surface and it just happens like and then furthermore find me the injury that's ever happened to an NBA player in the history of this league that happened because a guy was too skinny. You can find injuries that happen because of the opposite direction, but never because they're just too skinny. So like this idea that Joel Embiid's going to put a shoulder into him and he's going to snap him in half like a twig just is not realistic. I I think that that the fear of injury is just the same with kind of every player. I think that from a fancy perspective and even a a thunder perspective, it's just monitoring how he'll be played. Whenever you see the schedule get released this week, how many back-to-backs are there? Will he, how will he play in those back-to-backs? Will he play those back-to-backs, those three games and four night stretches, that kind of uh, thing to me. But as far as injury concern goes, I can tell you that he had zero regression in the rehab process at all he was always tracking and we, we saw him put shots up and and work in practices and shoot arounds from the from the time he was on a scooter he was getting shots up so he's he's amped up to play the thunder excited for him to play and we'll see if there's any restrictions on back-to-backs but that's all I'd really worry about with the injuries for chat. The
0: the if there is a restriction on back to backs, I would imagine that it lasts for like a month, six weeks. It's not going to be, yeah, we're running you on the Al Horford, Kawhi Leonard diet, where it just happens every every time for the entire season. I think it might be, you know, as he returns to action and plays his first NBA game that through October and maybe November that he sits one or two of them and then it's all systems go. Is that how you would read that?
1: Yeah, I, I think that the Thunder are going to be smart, but they're also not going to to coddle. Chet Holmgren. They're going to let him play, and frankly, he's going to be a guy that demands to play. He's a guy that wants to play basketball every chance he can get, and so as long as he's checking all the right boxes medically, you're going to let him play. I I think that this is going to be a very fun season for Chet Holmgren. The only thing that we've seen so far to even, kind of the only two things I guess we've seen so far that even question about his turnovers in Summer League were humongously up, but in Summer League, he didn't play with any point guards like he will play with in OKC, arguably too many point guards in OKC, and then his shot was off, but I think that the shot was more so We've seen him shoot at a high clip at every level from high school to FIBA to college. We've seen him shoot very, very well. I think that that's more so getting more acclimated to playing basketball again. I wouldn't worry about the shot either. And the turnovers, yes, I think they're going to happen for him, but he's not going to be put in that many ball handling scenarios once the regular season tips off, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, there was something I was going to say there about Chet, and I just completely... Oh yeah, you're talking about his competitiveness. Like this is a guy that like don't get fooled by the fact that he looks like a well, not that he looks like he is a skinny white guy. He is an aggressive asshole. Like he is going to be in there. He is one of the most competitive players. Um, he might be one of the most competitive players on this roster. He is really, really fired up, and everything that I've heard about him in time I've seen him, he is an ultra, ultra competitor. We're going to get into talking about your starting five in a second, Ryland. But today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Football season is here, and FanDuel is giving you the, the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you get bonus bets every time that they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you get bonus bets for every victory. And you can use those bonus bets on spreads, on player props, on over-unders, and more. Now, there is no NFL team in Oklahoma City, Ryland, but I'm assuming that when you put a bet on a Super Bowl winner and you get those bonus bets, you can use them on Oklahoma Oklahoma state college football I'm guessing which one of those uh, which one of those schools is your is your team of choice or do you have another college team that you're going for there
1: yeah OU would probably be the, the school of choice the, the Oklahoma Sooners I'd say
0: oh well that's a shame uh, anyway you can go out and put put Spread bets and player props and over-unders, money lines, or whatever it is you want once you've racked up those bonus bets on FanDuel, So visit fangil.com slash locked on and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's fangil.com slash locked on. And don't forget to gamble responsibly. Now, your starting five is the exact same starting five that I think the Thunder are going to roll out there. But surprisingly, I got multiple people pushing back on it when I posted it out on, on Instagram, because they were like, oh, no, no way. They can't start Chet Holmgren at the five. They'll have to start the other Jalen Williams. Um, Chet's not going to survive at the five. And I, to me, there is just absolutely no way that this isn't the starting lineup they're going to go with. Yes, Jalen Williams did play well last season, the king of drawing charges. But this, there is no I, I, there is no way in my mind that they are benching Lou Dort or the other Jalen Williams or <laughs> bench the other guys so that tall Jalen Williams, or as I call him, Pig Williams, can start next to Chit. That's just not going to happen.
1: It's not. And I think that that is just the um, fans that maybe don't have the, the same grasp of Oklahoma City. I think they've got a great read on it. The Thunder internally have two strong beliefs. Number one is their belief in Lou Dort. They absolutely love Lou Dort from the coaching staff to the front office. So they're going to give him an extremely long leash, whereas some observers of the Thunder What even within the Thunder fan base, would rather them not give him that long leash. The Thunder are going to do that, and his defense and what he brings to the team as a leader of the team kind of warrant that. And then the Thunder also believe Chet Holmgren is a center. Now, they could be wrong on that belief, but they believe he's a center, and they've been saying that since the day that they drafted him, and that has not changed with this injury. Because, again, this injury had nothing to do with him being a center or him being skinny or anything else. So they are going to play him at the center position. That's why they didn't take a big man this year. It's why they didn't improve Uh, their big man rotation this this offseason, they believe they have their center of the future. And they believe that Chet Holmgren is the type of center that you need to let SGA and Josh Giddey thrive because those two guys are best getting downhill. The only weapon that Josh Giddey has had offensively scoring the basketball – was later on in in this last season where he started to take advantage of smaller matchups and take them to the rim and just score over them. SGA, we know the pressure he puts on the rim to get foul calls and also to finish there and and eventually racked up a 31 point per game season while not shooting the ball particularly well from three or very often from three. And so Chet Holmgren is a center that allows you to clear the lane and allow that to continue to, to progress and flourish while drawing some respect from the defense on the perimeter. So he fits what they want to do, and he fits this style of basketball that they want to play. And so as of right now, the Thunder view him as a center and will continue to at least for the entirety of this year uh, because they're not in any hurry to to make predictions. They want to see for themselves what the data says. And right now, it's all pointing to Chet being the center. So I think that this will be the starting five as long as all five guys are healthy.
0: Yeah, I don't really see any, any – any... Way that that's not going to be the case, honestly. It's just not going to be. Um, you talk about Lou Dort, who uh, I also refer to as Midwest Dylan Brooks. Is there a, a going to be a situation that when someone like yeah, Casey Wallace is ready, like I know you say they love him and his defense is good, but he takes so much off the table offensively. Like He is one of the worst finishers in the NBA. And I, I just think that I don't, I maybe correct me if I'm wrong, I would doubt that the plan is for Jalen Williams to be the long-term starting power forward? I would guess they would want Giddy, Shea, and Jalen to play the one, two, and the three, and then they would want somebody else to be playing there next to Chet. Or do they just think Jalen can just be a full-time four?
1: Yeah, they certainly do not limit Jalen's potential to play any position, even putting him at backup point guard last year at some points and everything. But uh, ultimately, when you look at Lou Dort, this is a make-or-break year for him offensively. There's a role for him offensively, I believe. Since his rookie season, he's never shot below 40% on corner threes. That's going to have to be his role where he just sits there, is the beneficiary of driving kicks, hits corner threes, and then gets gets stronger attacking the rim. His frame suggests he should be a good rim finisher. He's not and never has been a good rim finisher. It's partly him being indecisive, partly uh, him not just using that frame to go power over oppositions down low. He's got to be able to do that more this year through contact, And so this is a make or break here for him to show he can actually improve upon that because the the reality of the situation is eventually the Thunder are going to make a move to improve this roster in in a fairly big way. And it might not be the superstar Joel Embiid type of move that people want them to make, but it'll at least be a move to put a bow on this core. And the only real expendable piece that is somewhat of a sweetener to a a pick package with a matching salary to go get someone big, even if it's just like a, a very, very, very good rotational player, would be Lou Dort, because you, you've seen throughout this time where the Thunder have tried to move up from pick six in the draft. They've tried to move up in the draft uh, higher than you know the two spots they moved up this year. You can't just overwhelm teams with picks only. You have to have those sweeteners, and if Cason if Wallace can be the defender that the Thunder think he can be, then that makes Lou Dort a bit expendable down the line. But as of right now, they are still all in on Lou Dort.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll see how long it lasts. I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens with the Dort. It, uh, not experiment, but how that all goes with all these other talent that will be coming through eventually. Now, the rest of your rotation, you did say they might play 12 guys. They won't play 12 guys necessarily every night, but they'll bring guys in and out. This was the top 10 that you gave me, and then the other, I'll talk about the other names in a second. So you got the other Jalen Williams, Michic, Kendrick Williams, Isaiah Joe, Aaron Wiggins. The other two guys you talked about there were Usman Jiang and Alexei Pokhyshevsky. Now, if I was to look at 10 guys, I would probably have Jiang there over Aaron Wiggins, but... Wiggins has proven it. The, I think, I guess, the thing with Wiggins is that he couldn't really even nail down a regular every-night role last season, and I think Jeng has taken some big, big steps forward as we head into, uh, head into this season. But this is the depth of this team, that you don't have Pokashevsky on that list, you don't have Jeng on that list, you don't have 10th overall pick, Cason Wallace, on that list. You don't have you know, Trey Mann on that list. There's a number of guys who who aren't there that they can give those minutes to. And also, one guy I do want to quickly touch on here is Isaiah Joe because people will look at this roster and we're going to ask this question later and they'll be like well he's got a non-guaranteed deal so he's probably going to get cut and I can't wait you know there's my team's going to grab him there is surely there is no chance that Isaiah Joe's getting cut
1: yeah the the Thunder roster is kind of overblown with this idea that there's a lot of talent where we can go through the cuts in a minute every player the Thunder are going to cut was given away multiple times this offseason for free. The Thunder were paid to take on these players and they're going to get rid of them to clear the way. So it's it's not I don't get the idea that the Thunder are going to be giving up players who, who teams are ready to jump on because teams could have already jumped on them if they wanted to. This summer they could have already jumped on them if they wanted to, but it certainly will not be Isaiah Joe who provides uh, some of the best shooting in the nba but much less for the thunder team that, that lacks shooting still even with some improvements in that area this off season so isaiah joe and, and sneakily is a better defender than what he looks like mm-hmm. on the court whenever he plays as well so isaiah joe is a key cog to this rotation and you're right the, the the depth of this team is on full display and it's part of why i'm fairly excited for what this what this full regular season can look like because whenever you talk about these names it's And you talk about the coach who's willing to to shuffle through the Rolodex of players. This is a head coach that's not going to be stubborn. If, if a guy doesn't have it that night, he's going to get him out of there. He's even benched Josh Giddy at times and benched Lou Dorton, and yep. benched guys who are like the main guys on this roster. So you're telling me that in an 82-game season, there's going to be a lot of games where you can't just find eight or nine guys that night that have it on a list of, of 12, 13 names that you really like? I think that more often than not, the Thunder will find a combination of six, seven, eight, nine guys who can really play on any given night and have it going, and are able to win some more regular season games than people think, and it, and it might not translate to the postseason, but for, as far as the regular season goes, uh, it can get them a lot of wins. So I, I think that ultimately I would agree with you that if you're just talking about minutes in the long run, Poku and Jang will both probably be ahead of Wiggins. If you're talking about trying to maximize your rotation to win a basketball game, I'd have Wiggins ab- above those two. So it's just kind of up to what the Thunder's mindset is going into this year, and I think it'll likely – Trend more still toward development, which is going to be shocking to hear for some uh, national people who want the Thunder to just go for it right now.
0: I'm not going to talk a huge amount about Shea Gildas Alexander because he had that big breakout step last season. We saw that he part of the concern. I wasn't even concerned that I have for him, but like uh, there's a I have a level of uh, skepticism's not the right word. It makes me think like I don't believe in Shea because I, I very clearly do. But the way that he was able to take his free throw shooting and free throw drawing to this next level last season makes me feel that even a slight regression hurts his overall fantasy. I've said this on the show many times. He took his free throw percentage up 10 percentage points from 80.4, 81 up to 90.5. Like That's gigantic. He took his free throw attempts from 7.2 to 10.9. He took his overall field goal shooting from 45 up to 51%. Uh, I say all those things to ask the question like, what is, the, what is the next step? How does he improve from there? Because there are things there where I look at and go, oh, that, that free throw shooting might be 87, which in the scheme of real NBA basketball doesn't mean much, but for fantasy it does. Or he's 51%, he might be 49.2 or something like that, which is a drop back as well. So to offset those things which were gigantic, gigantic leaps forward, what is something that he might be able to um, step, step forward in or improve this season?
1: Yeah, his free throw shooting was so interesting to me because I think that a lot of his misses were on technical foul free throws, which is odd. The Thunder the Thunder as a team could not capitalize on technical foul free throws. Isaiah Joe missed a ton. SGA missed a ton. They just could not hit their technical fouls. Uh, but overall, the, the stroke looks pure from SGA at the free throw line in game and also uh, in practices and shoot around and everything else. But an area of his game that I think he can take a massive leap in is his three-point shooting? I think that the three-point shooting uh, is something that he's going to harp on. He he's so far has uh, has came back every summer of his career with a humongous uh, improvement in some category, if not multiple categories. And this is a guy who has shot forty-one percent from three before. Now that was in the twenty. Uh, 21 season with only 35-game sample size, and the sight lines, as we know, were very shooter-friendly in that season, uh, but he shot 36% as a rookie in all 82 games, But and in in that season only averaged under two threes per game. The thing is, though, whenever you watch him play in FIBA for Team Canada, something to watch for as the tournament ramps up here in these exhibitions has been the overall change to his shooting form. It's much, much, much more fluid, and he's also very comfortable trying those step-backs again, which he got a bit away from last year, which led to some better efficiency because he didn't try as many of those step-backs. He just got to the bucket uh, and either scored at the rim through contact or pulled back on on a little mid-range jumper that is hard to contest because if you're looking at Shea, you would think that the way to defend him is to to give him space and to prevent him to shoot at the rim, but he can easily just pop a, a, a... mid-range jumper and do that at a high clip as well so overall the biggest area of growth from him would be three-point shooting and I think that he can probably do that especially playing off ball more this year at least in some uh more capacity off ball with Josh Giddy and Chet Holmgren to get some uh, open three-point looks an area that he didn't really get the chance to shoot a lot of last year
0: he barely took any look he cut his three-point attempt this is how he was able to bump his field goal percentage up for those of you who are looking at that in fantasy he's he went from 5.3 attempts from three to 2.5, and we'll know that three-point shooting percentages are lower than two-point percentages. So if you take fewer threes, your overall field goal percentage goes up. So even if he does, say he does shoot 37% from three this season, but he gets more confident and takes those step backs and goes back to taking five threes again, well, his overall field goal percentage will drop. Yes, his true shooting might rise, his effective field goal percentage might go up, but unfortunately, standard fantasy categories don't count that, and his field goal percentage might go back to being a 49% guy, even though overall he's more efficient and he is hitting more of those threes. So, Part of that reason he was able to jump that field goal percentage up as high as he did is he stopped taking the threes, which for him aren't a particularly high percentage shot, and they're not. Yeah, you know, his points per possession don't. Yeah, you know, doesn't improve that much by him taking all those threes. But if that does change, that will have an impact on it. Let's look at the players on this team under the age of twenty-three, because there's a ton of them. There's Jalen Williams, who's twenty-two. There's Jalen Williams, who's twenty-one. There's Giddy, who is somehow only twenty. Which is honestly whenever I look at these ages, it's the most amazing one that I was looking at. Man, he is only twenty. How is like he's younger than Chet Honggren, he's younger than Jalen Williams. Usman Jeng is twenty. There is Honggren twenty one. Poku's twenty one. Kaysen Wallace is nineteen. Usman Garuba's twenty one. Trey Mann's twenty two. Robinson Earl is twenty two. And Taita Washington is twenty one. There's a lot of names on there. I want to talk Josh Giddy because we thought there might be, oh, well, where's he gonna how's he gonna coexist with Shave long term? How's the shooting gonna go? But I thought he took gigantic steps forward last season. His passing is absolutely elite. I thought his defense is not great, but it is improved. And I think that I think the shooting might get there, Ryland. So we're talking Giddy here. He is unbelievably almost the youngest player on this team. It's only Kaysen and Jeng who are younger than him. He's established as a two-year NBA starter who plays 30 minutes a night. He takes, I think he took the second most amount of shots per hundred possessions on this team behind Shea. Yeah, he did. Um... What's what's next for him? Like, is it is it just improving that three ball as well? Like, where where is he fitting on this squad long term?
1: The next step for Josh Giddy is actually not the three point ball because I think that that's going to progress at a slower pace and at, and, and at a rate where he progressed last year. Like, if he if he can make that kind of jump every single year under Chip England, that'd be fantastic. But like, eventually it'll come around. I think that he can be a league average three point shooter just because of his work ethic and, and, and you know this like how hard he works and and, and the background of him. Uh, to improve his game. The the, the improvement's going to come with his free throw rate, which is what we talked about with Che uh, mm-hmm. earlier. His free throw rate was horrendous in his NBA it career was. so far for a guy mm-hmm. of his stature and frame and a guy that, like I said earlier, thrives only getting at the rim against smaller matchups this is something that Marcus talked about a lot that the the emphasis for josh giddy this summer is to get to the free throw line figure out a way to make them blow the whistle force their hand to get you to the free throw line because it's not as though you're not getting fouled it's just they're not calling it so how can you make them uh, uh give you that contact and And so far in one FIBA exhibition game, he shot five free throws, which is uh, he only did that in the NBA more than four free throws around five times in his whole NBA career. So like it it is it is something that he is going to need to improve on and that that can open things up for him. Because as you saw so far for Team Australia, with the way he can score at the rim, given his almost six nine frame, he stands by the fact he's six nine. Nine, the thunder 6'8 six eight still with that frame and his, and if he can score them at a high level as defenses rotate over to him he has that elite playmaking to make them pay for it and find the open man so that's going to be the next evolution as being a force of rim pressure uh in in the offensive game
0: and one thing that is really interesting to track with that is his free throw rate it was 13 percent or 0.13 so every 13 percent of his field goal attempts were free throws we or how we want to look at that number but It went up as the season went on, and over his final 10 games, it was up to 18. Over his final 25 games it was 17 so it is pushing up and you get that to 20, 21 he had a 26 free throw attempt rate uh, playing in Adelaide uh, for the 36 down here in the NBL so there is a possibility of that jumping up and that is that's one of those things that takes guys from being good to being very good to being stars and we already talked about that with Shea if you get that free throw attempt rate up and that then so much other stuff of course he's got to hit his free throws because that percentage has dropped down to like 66% over the last 25 games so they've got to go in as well but getting to the line is is important now there are a ton of young guys there. I can't talk about all of them in this show, but what I do want to talk about now, Rylan, is, okay, who is getting cut? Because there are 25 players currently on this roster and only one of those players is signed to a two-way deal. So, that means that you, there are five players who w- will not, at this point, make the regular season roster. Who are they? I don't see if they match up yeah, with for, my five.
1: For me, it's going to be Victor Oladipo, Correct. Jack White, mm-hmm. Ty Ty Washington, mm-hmm. Usman Garuba, and then I have Jeremiah Robinson Earl as my last one.
0: Interesting. Okay, so we got four or five there, and the only one that we had different is I had Davus Bertans getting cut and them keeping Usman Garuba. I believe in I believe Oladipo Robinson Earl Washington and White. I think they're all going to get cut, but I had Bertans getting cut over Garuba. So, what makes you think that Ujman is going to get cut there?
1: Yeah, I think that whenever you look at Davus Bertans, you know he has that contract where if you only play them in, you know, 75% or less of the games, you can waive them next summer for $5 million. And the Thunder uh, have managed to to play with a older big man throughout this time, uh, you know, under mark of, of having Mike Muscala. And then right sure. into, from Muscala, you go into Daro Saric. And now a, a likely lineage there would be Dallas uh, Pertans. The, the problem would be Dallas Pertans, not necessarily as willing, it doesn't feel like from his other stops to be in that, uh, to be in that Muscala and Sarge role where you're kind of getting DNPs on weeks at a time, and then you get back in the rotation, then you fall back out of it. It doesn't seem like that's his cup of tea necessarily. So if the two could work out a buyout agreement, I think that that would be a tremendous win for OKC to get him cut. But uh, as of right now, I, I look at the $1.9 million owed to Jerry, and then the low contract owed to Gruba and, and kind of side there. But I will say, I would prefer your list of cuts. I think that putting Usman Gruba with this organization, given his defensive tools, the Thunder have a brilliant G League organization led by Cam Woods, who's one of the best defensive coaches in the G League. So getting him some time there stashed away to grow and develop his defensive game, along with giving the Thunder another look. The Thunder getting another guy who who isn't on their normal roster to shuffle in where like, they don't have a guy who plays and looks like Usman Gruba. No. They don't have a big man who does that. So when you give them the opportunity to throw another lineup at you, that's just going to make life harder on the opposition to game plan because he might get a DNP. He might play 20 minutes and just be a totally different lineup than what you're expecting and a different play style than you're expecting. So uh, I would much prefer your list, uh, but I think that Bertanza's contract might make it so uh, he sticks around. But hopefully uh, Gruba does stick around.
0: Because, yeah, bedtimes is $17 million for this season, as you said, and a guarantee for next year. So it is a lot of money to eat. And we'll see what they end up doing. I think in terms of yeah, the financials have to pay, play a part in it because if, if it wasn't financial related, I don't think there's any chance that Bertans would be uh, prioritized there ahead of Garuba. And people will be shocked, I think, to think that Jeremiah Robinson Earl would be cut. But to me, he is very reminiscent of uh, Eric Pascal, who played for the Warriors a couple of years ago, who played some decent minutes on teams that were struggling to get, find bodies, and that's what Robinson Earl did. He's had a lot of injuries, and now there's just multitudes of players who are probably in better positions than where he is. And it just makes the most sense that you, when you are at this roster squeeze, maybe they try and find a trade for him or whatever, that it's he's not necessarily going to be the uh, the big priority um, there, as, as we've discussed. Okay, there's a lot of options on this team. Who is a breakout candidate?
1: A breakout candidate on this team, I think, can be Josh Giddey. I think that he can take a big leap in the box score, both uh, assist-wise, you you look at how he can just dump passes off to, to Chet Holmgren, both in the pick and roll as Chet Holmgren's trailing in transition, just the diving to the rim. Everything he can do with Chet Holmgren, I think, can boost his assists even more. We know he's going to collect a ton of rebounds, and he's gotten better as the months went on last year at scoring the basketball uh, and getting to the rim there to, to allow himself to score, plus any sort of improvement from beyond the arc itches him closer and closer to that league average mark so i would be uh really in on a on a josh giddy breakout especially if he's slipping in fantasy rounds at all uh so I, th- I would go with with him as my breakout candidate
0: what about on the flip side of regression candidate it's really hard to see that given how young this team is and you know, as much as i hate saying it to, to me it probably is like what if Shea just takes more threes and the field goals drop and then the free throws are at 88 or 87 instead of 91 and with it being 81 every year of his career. And that's not to say that he's bad, but like to me, when you look at everyone else, I don't see anyone else who's really in line to have gigantic drop-offs in their production.
1: Yeah, a regression candidate, I guess, would be either, like you said, Shea, because if he he has any drop-off, it would be a regression in the fantasy basketball world. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, J-Will could regress just in basketball sense of a guy who went from at the end of the year getting yep. bulk minutes and, and a pretty stable role to now, you know, what if you play small one night and he doesn't get a, get a minute in the game because you're playing kind to of just a five whenever you take Chet off the floor. That's and true. so you go small and he's not in there and he shot 40% from three last year. I mean, he was not a three point shooter in college. He comes in and shoots 40% from three in the NBA on two attempts a game that has the likelihood to aggress even at least a little bit from beyond the arc this year. And so, when you're getting less minutes and you regress even a little bit statistically, I would consider that a, a regression candidate for Jay. Well, even though he's still going to give uh, the Thunder some valuable
0: minutes. Who's the most likely player to be traded?
1: The most likely player to be traded on this roster, maybe if you if you see a team get injured uh, and and need some someone like that was Breton's uh, maybe he could could be an option for another team. I will say Pokushevsky. Mm. This this is a Thunder team that the Thunder have not, understand Sam let a ton of guys hit restricted free agency. There seems to be no contract extension on the on the horizon for Poku ahead of this season. So he will be uh, playing this year on an expiring deal that will send him into restricted free agency. You saw that with Darius Baisley last year, where they let him play it out into the deadline and shipped him off to Phoenix. Uh, but the Thunder do like Poku a lot, so maybe he will be an exception to that rule. And ultimately, I would settle on Trey Man. I think the Trey Man showed a lot in Summer League, and there's going to be a guard needy team out there that wants to take a shot on him because at the end of the day, you can probably pick him up for a second-round pick or something like that to where you can have the potential to have a guy uh, lead your team and just see if he pops or not in, in your organization, especially a guard needy team that not, might not necessarily want to win a ton of games this year.
0: All right, let's get to the business of win projections. This team, 40 and 42, where I, I I didn't go back and have a look, but I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have selected them for 40 and 42, even though we were a little bit higher on this Thunder team than, than people were in general. But they were 40 and 42. They had the 15th best net rating in the NBA, plus 0.6, which is really good. And now FanDuel's gone, all right, let's go. We're at 44.5 wins as our over-under. And we are remarkably similar but also both under. You're at 44 and 38. I'm at 43 and 39. And I think if this was the same Western Conference as last season, Ryland, I'd be looking at the Thunder as a 46-win team, I reckon. But it's not. And for every win that every other team gets, somebody has to lose at some point. So while I'm expecting the Thunder to improve and get a few wins, and I think their team's going to be significantly better, I wouldn't be shocked if they ended up at 42 and 42 and still in the play-in because other teams have gotten significantly better.
1: Yeah, I think that this Thunder team, they're going to look a lot better on the court. Now, their record might not be this incredible, dramatic improvement, but on the court, if you watch them last year and then you watch them this year, you're going to know who the better team was and who the better team is. But it is a tough, tough Western Conference. I will say that I consider them, like you, a pretty significant lock for postseason basketball just because... controlling the Rockets pick controlling the Clippers pick controlling other picks they have zero incentive at the end of a season in a tight play-in race to shut it down they didn't do it last year the Dallas Mavericks did they take that spot I think that I think that you're going to see that every year where like there's going to be a team who had higher hopes but eventually just shuts it down in the last two weeks and the Thunder will take advantage of that at the very least but this team I think has a wide win variance you could see them get really hot in the regular season as we mentioned the depth before like First and foremost, this is a still a very young team that's going to take the regular season seriously. You saw the SGA Instagram post after every single win. Winning in the NBA still matters to this young team. They still just get giddy about it every time that they win a basketball game. And so, like, the the Thunder are going to care. And you cannot guarantee that all other 29 teams are going to care every single night the way you can with the Thunder. They're not going to be load managing a ton of guys, uh, if if anyone at all, as we mentioned with Chet Holmgren, maybe for a month or two, and then he's going to go be all systems go as long as he's healthy. And so then those two equations, plus, like we talked about the depth of, you're going to be able to find eight guys a night who are playing good basketball. Like the, the odds of playing 14 guys, 12 guys on this roster in one game, and most of them sucking, are not very high. And so that's going to benefit you a lot, too, for this Thunder team, who we saw made a lot of adjustments last year as one of the best third-quarter teams in the NBA. And we also saw every year with Mark, even whenever this team had zero talent on it, They've been a top half of the league defense this year defensively. They could be top ten, could arguably top five, but top ten for sure in my opinion, leaping up two spots from where they were last year. So the defense and everything makes their win variance very high. But realistically, it is very hard to to pick up a lot of games in the NBA year to year. The Thunder did it last year in a big way. This year, a four game improvement is still a, a pretty good jump. an nba team so i know that people want to jump the gun on how good the thunder can be and they can reach that plateau this year but ultimately if you're going to make a prediction you've got to be somewhat realistic and four wins is still really impressive
0: it is and now it's time to see how impressive you are because we're going to play the gritty ryan we're looking at oklahoma city thunder players you've played these basketball grid games before i'm assuming correct all right so here we go it's thunder only so we're doing thunder Pacers, thunder nuggets Thunder Wizards, Thunder Suns, and Thunder Rockets. And the last one is a Thunder player averaged, who averaged eight rebounds per game. Now, they're a little bit different here because we don't do rarity scores because it's only you and no one else is competing against you, but you are competing against all of the other hosts in different ways. So what we want to do is I take all of the games played by each player for both franchises. So they might've played 200 for the Thunder and three for the Pacers or five for the Thunder and... 100 for the Nuggets. And then I take the smaller of those two numbers and I rank them all and they get a score of 100 being the the most games and zero being the fewest games. And you want to head towards the zero. You want to try and get that low player who played one random appearance for the Thunder and played a million games for the Pacers and you get scored that way. And the last one for the eight rebounds per game, they have to have averaged eight rebounds per game in a season playing for the Thunder, and then we scale those based on the fewest career games played for the Thunder. There's no qualifying amount of games played in a season needed for them to get that if they came across and played 20 games and averaged eight rebounds, it counts as well. And we're looking for fewest games played as a member of the Thunder slash Seattle Sonics franchise. So it goes all the way back to the Sonics history here as well. Where do you want to start?
1: Let's start with Thunder, Rockets, and go DJ Augustine.
0: Thunder, Rockets, DJ Augustine. Okay, DJ Augustine playing. Well, okay, interesting. He played more games for both of those franchises than I expected. It's not a huge amount of games, but he's still, there were quite a lot of randoms in this category, which I'm going to go through who they are in a second. But DJ Augustin played 54 for the Rockets and 62 for the Thunder. That's a 24.2 score on that one. The highest score was James Harden, obviously, because he played 220 for Oklahoma City. Uh, some low score options. Uh, Rick Brunson played four games for the Thunder slash Sonics. Um, who else is on here? That's an interesting name, Justin Patton. Wow, do you remember his five games for the Thunder? Justin Patton, a rebuild legend. Yeah, I do not remember him playing for the Thunder at all. Um, it netted Isaiah Roby. Ah,
1: oh, did it? Oh,
0: yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. The other one uh, is of course Rockets legend Carmelo Anthony, who played ten games uh, for Houston. That would have been a pretty good that would score if a good you. One. All right. What else are we going for now?
1: Rock uh thunder 8 rebounds per game Moses Brown.
0: Oh yeah, you've 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 nailed this here. You've nailed the the assignment. Now is he the lowest one? He is not the lowest one, but he is very very close to it. I wonder if you can guess who the lowest one is and I'll I'll give you the the Moses Brown one cuz he played 43 thunder games with a score of 1.92. The guy who had the lowest score was actually in the same era in those weird rebuild tank you know, February, March, April specials, who uh, averaged eight rebounds per game in his a very, very small Thunder career.
1: Oh, goodness. Was it?
0: I'm pretty sure he had close, Ooh. I think he came close to a 20-rebound game as well during that, maybe even two of them.
1: Close to a 20-rebound game?
0: Yeah, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double-check that. I'm pretty sure he did.
1: Oh, goodness. I don't think Isaiah Roby ever got close to a 20-rebound game at 6'9" oh goodness
0: gabriel deck never got close to a 20 rebound game <laughs> no he did not obviously um maybe, i'm gonna go tony bradley maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong on this no it wasn't tony bradley let me have a quick where is these numbers now where am i getting this 20 rebound game no, i think i'm anyway it was Jalen Horde. Moses
1: Brown had a 20 rebound game. J- uh, oh, no, Jalen Horde did have a, almost a 20 rebound game. He actually yes. did have a 20 rebound yes, game. Yes, he right. did.
0: He did. He had that. Jalen Horde. Yes, Jalen Horde. He played 23 Thunder games and he had that random stretch. I can't remember which year it was. But Moses Brown's a great answer. What are we going to do next? Let's do Thunder, Wizards. Thunder and Wizards. All right. Ish yeah, we love Ish Smith in these games. He's always he's always good value. Ish Smith. Wow, well, Ish Smith only played 30 games for the Thunder. Okay. That's a good score. But there were there were some other good ones. 18.18 is the score for Ish. The highest scoring player between the those two franchises was somebody by the name of Gus Williams, who played a lot for Seattle. Some low-score ones. Um Justin Robinson. Okay. I remember him. Uh, from a couple of years ago. Greg Ballard. Don't know who. Oh, Yes, I do know. I not know him. He was a Seattle guy. Rashad Lewis is on that list, although he played quite a bit. Um, Mike Wilkes. Don't know who that is. Anyway, let's go on to the next one. What are you going to do? Pacers, Nuggets, or Suns?
1: Let's do Suns and do Darius Baisley because he didn't hardly play at all with the Suns. Yeah, he didn't. I'm
0: going to have a look how many he actually played because he barely got on the court after that trade. Darius Baisley played seven games for Phoenix. He played 221 for the Thunder. That is a 1.58. Ryland, you are really, really flying here at the moment. The Pacers and the Nuggets are the last two.
1: The Pacers, the one I'm thinking, I'm trying to balance with the Pacers because he played a ton with the Pacers, but he didn't play all that much with the Thunder. So I'm trying to see if that would be a good enough score, but actually, no, they have to play regular season games, huh? It's going to be regular season games, Because yeah. Leaf did not get into the regular season for the Thunder. Wow.
0: <laughs> no. I was going to say,
1: he was in training camp. He was one of these guys like Tai Tai right, Washington yeah, that people are freaking out yeah, about.
0: That's, that's right. What the,
1: the, the freak out with Ty, Ty Washington is like when people thought TJ Leap was going to be good for the Thunder and then he just got cut and it didn't matter at all. For the sake of time, I'll just stick with George Hill, the Pacers.
0: Wow, these you are the Thunder do have a very large selection of these random guys who play a handful of games, and George Hill is one of them. That is 2.92 his score. He played 14 games for the Thunder. Um, wow, that's that's his who's the highest? Derek McKee was the highest back from the Sonics days, but George is almost the best one. There's a bloke by the name of Eddie Gill who played one game. For the franchise at some point, I don't know when that happened. I'm trying to find any other uh, new ones. Victor Oladipo only played 67 games in his Thunder career, so he was uh, he was there. Now he's back again, obviously. Um, yeah, but really good scores. All right, last one, Denver.
1: Last one. Let's go with the NBA champion Reggie Jackson.
0: He, wow, you are you are absolutely locked in here. Reggie Jackson played 16 games for the Denver Nuggets. That gets you a score of. Six point one seven. I haven't totaled them all up yet, but I reckon that's gonna put you very, very close to in the lead, if not almost definitely in the lead amongst all the hosts. The, the highest player there was Dale Alice, who played just tons of games for both franchises. Some other interesting low guys, let's have a look. Someone by the name of George Zidek, don't know who that is, Elmore Spencer, Nate Robinson and his four games. For the Thunder, there you go.
1: Oh, that would have been a good one.
0: Wow. I feel, yeah. or, or, or PJ Dozier's two games for the Thunder as well would have also got you a pretty good score. But, Ryan, The, the it's,
1: best 35 in Thunder history, some would say.
0: <laughs> some would say. Some would be wrong, but some would say that. And that would uh, bring us to the end of the show, Ryan. Thank you for coming on, chatting Thunder with me. Tell us what's going on over at Locked on Thunder at the moment.
1: Locked on Thunder is just getting ready for a very exciting season with the, with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And, Josh, I want to give you one question that I had from a listener that I didn't know how to answer. Okay. So you can end the show flexing your muscles for me. All right. What is more valuable in fantasy basketball, the potential ceiling of Chet Holmgren or the potential ceiling of Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara?
0: Um, The potential ceiling of Chet Holmgren, I f- say without really – I know I hesitated slightly. I don't think there's too much hesitation in that. I, Jalen Williams was really, we didn't even spend a huge amount of time on Jalen Williams here because there's just so many interesting things on this team. But Williams was really good last season. I think he can be um, a, a really impactful player. I, I'm not sure about the league leading steals numbers that he put up at the end of last season, whether that's going to be necessarily something that 100% continues. But Chet's a guy that could very easily be 18, 12, two and a half blocks a game, shoot threes and pass as well. Like that, That is insanely valuable to me. So to me, it's pretty clearly Chet.
1: Yeah, The blocks per game is going to be huge for Chet, I think, for right out of the gate. So great job there, Josh. You kill it with fantasy coverage. Uh, and hopefully, you all will tune into Lockdown Thunder for a very exciting uh, young team in OKC.
0: Yeah, it's going to be an exciting year for the Thunder and so many interesting prospects there, Rylan. Thank you again for coming on and chatting about the Thunder with me. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for me today. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.